I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberland. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. So glad to be with you both. Mike, Mary, good to hear, good to be on the line. <laughs> yeah. Archbishop, how have you been? How was your last month? I know, uh, you know, Thanksgiving, so many different things I'm sure have happened for you. I know within this last month you had the uh, U.S. bishops meeting. How, how have things been for you personally? Um, Very well, thanks. Uh, You mentioned Thanksgiving. It was so great to be able to uh, be with some of my family on Thanksgiving Day. I give God praise for that, uh, that uh, we're we're not out of the woods, but uh, things are getting uh, better for us, I think, by and large, and I'm very grateful for that. That's great. I know within this last uh, time since we've recorded, unfortunately, we also had in our own neighborhood here in our own archdiocese that uh, horrific shooting at oxford high school of course and i um you know i want to ask you archbishop you know is there anything specific that that from you know from your offices or you yourself have been uh, involved in any way with that you know obviously i know i'm sure you're praying uh, for the families in that situation that community but um you know beyond that i didn't know if there was anything you'd like to say about that well uh, certainly uh uh, my own prayer has uh, been a daily, it's, it's been a theme of my daily prayer, praying yeah. for those uh, who were, uh, who, who lost their lives, for the wounded, and uh, mindful of the deep, the other wounds, the, the spiritual, psychological wounds of so many, asking the Lord for healing, especially asking Our Lady's uh, protection for, uh, for all of those involved. And it's certainly become a, a wider matter. We see how yeah. this uh, the threat of violence in our midst uh, is oppressive to to so many of us. Mm-hmm. And I pray for our own confidence in the in the providence of God. I appreciated your words when you responded to it, and um, the Detroit Catholic kind of was able to open up um, some different ideas of healing in it because it is such a jolting thing that's happening in our society, and it can be. Um, easy to get overwhelmed by the evil of it all, you know? And so uh, hearing words of comfort and words of, um, I don't know, truth when it comes to God's love and God's goodness, even in hard things, was really important. Yes, very, very important. And uh, a a particular theme of my prayer, and I know of all the, the priests and pastoral leaders involved, is to try to be supportive of those uh, who uh, have to be present or who are called to mm-hmm. be present to uh, mm. to the wounded and, and the grieving. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll continue to keep that in our prayers. I, I like you, it's been a, it's been a daily prayer um, for God's goodness and, and comfort to be present in that situation. So we'll right. continue. Especially to... the message of this time of year is that God right. is with us. Mm. He's never going to go away. Yes. Uh, his uh, coming in the flesh is a change in his uh, being with us, and he'll never strip himself of, of that uh, presence to us. I always think of that uh, line from the first chapter in John, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, provides a tremendous amount of comfort for me when I 
can't make sense of things in the world, you know, that there is this reality of the incarnation and the goodness of God in the midst of seemingly overwhelming darkness. So if he can bring goodness out of uh, the plot to Mm. kill life himself, Mm. he can bring good out of uh, all other things. That's part of the victory of his resurrection. Yes, well, we will continue to keep that in our prayers. This month during the podcast, we have the opportunity to look at the Advent and Christmas season through the lens of radical hospitality. This is a concept that you introduced in your pastoral letter, Unleash the Gospel, that we reference often here on the podcast. And it's factored into a lot of the missionary efforts in recent years, I'm sure from you and also from people working in parishes. To begin with, I thought we'd talk about what radical hospitality is or what is uh, named in Unleash the Gospel, unusually gracious hospitality. What does that mean to you, and and where did you get that idea from, the unusually gracious hospitality? Um, Where did the idea come from? Uh, I think very much from uh, the uh, Synod uh, uh, Commission and from uh, the parishioners uh, who came to our sessions. It it wasn't uh, uh, my genius that (laughs) uh, underscored the, the reality, the need for hospitality to be part of our effort at evangelization. Mm. And uh, I think the terms uh, uh, about uh, being unusually gracious or Mm -hmm. radical, uh, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like saying hospitality to the 10th power uh, (laughs) to remind us that it's not, uh, we have to be very attentive to it and uh, be invested in being hospitable to others. Mm. Go beyond the the usual courtesies, I think, is, is one way I interpret that. Oh. Yeah. I like that, to the 10th degree. I'm going to keep that in mind as I challenge myself to be a more radically hospitable person and family, you know? Yeah, I mean, even I think our secular culture celebrates an, an idea of, of hospitality, obviously, you know what I mean? But I, I like what you're saying as well, like, you know, if, if regular culture celebrates it, ours needs to look different and be different as a Christian in, in its concept, you know? And, um, you know, so that draws us to kind of think from like the biblical basis of it. And and where would you say that comes from, Archbishop, from a kind of a Christian biblical mindset of radical hospitality? Is there something specific that comes to your mind uh, when reflecting with that? Well, uh, what our Lord says about what you did to the least of my brethren, you did to me, uh, that's very much a part of uh, what the Lord expects of us. Uh, I was thinking that we don't necessarily think of uh, the Good Samaritan as exercising uh, radical hospitality, but he, he'd found a home for the wounded. He, he mm. went way out of his way. Mm. And uh, one of the basis basis for uh, our hospitality is the experience of the Savior himself. You know, our Lord says, what you did to the least, you did to me. Mm. Well, it happened to him that he was in great need of hospitality. Mm. We remember that uh, very much this time of year, that there was no place for him in the inn. Mm -hmm. Uh, There wasn't hospitality for the Holy Family. And uh, Mary, you talked about St. John's Gospel, the prologue, he came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. Right. There was a lack of hospitality to the Messiah himself. So mm. uh, Christ has the experience of not receiving hospitality, mm. and he calls on us to give him the experience of hospitality in uh, 
in his members, in those who are forgotten and on the margins. Mm. Mm. There's a lot of uh, mention of hospitality in the Old Testament, and, and our Lord's themes, his preaching, are anticipated. Uh, the, uh, the children of Israel were called upon in the law to be hospitable to the stranger. Uh, they are reminded that they were once strangers in a strange land, hmm. and they need to be then particularly uh, attentive to the needs of uh, strangers in their midst. And Abraham himself is praised in uh, the book of Genesis for being hospitable to strangers. And in the New Testament, it says that they, uh, it comments on what Abraham did with his hospitality, that he entertained angels unaware. Mm. Mm. I love that, uh, that verse. You know, in, in Unleash the Gospel, you, um, you talk about unusually gracious hospitality as being part of a strikingly countercultural way of living. Can you talk about that a little bit more in what ways... Um, that we're called to live hospitality in a countercultural way. I think, uh, I mean, the, the uh, example we use a lot of times to get people to think about hospitality is uh, uh, giving up one's favorite seat, one's favorite pew in church uh, <laughs> for somebody who mm. is not usually there. You know, that's yes. my place. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, that's a, a, a small example, kind of a microcosm of what I've got in mind here, that we are very much a, a culture focused on my own rights, my own place, uh, my uh, autonomy, my, uh, and uh, it can be very difficult to extend ourselves uh, mm -hmm. beyond uh, uh, beyond what's comfortable. Mm -hmm. and, uh, there, there are a lot of really remarkable ways that people do go outside of themselves. But at the same time, we live in a culture that is, is we're, we're tempted quite uh, often to say, but not there, you know, that, that's right. more than, uh, right. mm -hmm. giving up that parking spot is more than I can tolerate, whatever. Yes. And so uh, I think it means to let myself, uh, not, I mean, we all need boundaries. I'm not uh, uh, trying to promulgate some sort of uh, irrational, uh, right, boundarylessness. <laughs> right, but we do need to let ourselves be challenged, and uh, in a way that our cultural bias uh, can find difficult. Yeah, mm. it's uh, that's such a good um, point. I'm I'm kind of still stuck on the, you know, how we feel about our pew being taken, um, because I think it's a good, it's a, a little bit of a good self examination, you know, on on some of the. Um, holidays when our churches might be a little more packed. Like, what is our response to that? I've, I've heard so many people say, you know, these people that only come on Christmas are taking my spot, you know, and the, it's, it's an interesting place to kind of examine your own heart because we might be hospitable in some of the traditional senses, but where does God call us to be um, more hospitable uh, in places that might be blind spots to us? Right. Yeah. And it's not simply, it, I mean, Hospitality is a, a, a locus, it's, it's a lens, but what we're really talking about is having something that's really great and sharing it. Mm. And uh, we can be quite comfortable in sharing because the goodness of God that we share with other people is uh, made all of the more our own uh, when we give it away. 
It, mm. It's one of those uh, paradoxes of spiritual goods. So, you know, let's beat our little example of the pew to death here. <laughs> when I share uh, my place in church, it's not just my place I'm sharing. Right. I'm uh, being an instrument to share the goodness of Christ right. and uh, to be a doorway for that goodness to be open to somebody else. Uh, that's, that's the point, really. Uh, the, the grace of the new covenant, the grace of Jesus, is a grace that is uh, advanced by being shared heart to heart, person to person. And hospitality is one of the, uh, one of the ways that we, we share Christ with other people. And part of uh, this missionary attitude we all need to have is that this is one of my, this is my basic principal responsibility to other people, is to share uh, Christ with them. Now, yeah, I need to do business. I need to make sure I get in the right line at uh, checkout and uh, pay my bill. I mean, all of that. But underneath everything I do and, and engage in is this uh, responsibility, gift I have of sharing Christ with others. Now, that doesn't always translate into uh, something very explicit. But I need, uh, I'm called every day to share Christ with others in some way, even if it's as simple as uh, uh, have a blessed day, that, that sort of thing. I don't know, Mary, maybe this came from you as a suggestion for my attention, but talk about prayer. I think uh, uh, inviting, uh, offering to pray for people is a kind mm -hmm. of hospitality. And... Uh, Another way to, that's a welcoming of the other person as, as somebody that's loved by Jesus. And uh, something I've seen that works very effectively is uh, if, if somebody says, uh, yeah, I'd be happy to have you pray for me, is then to go the next step and say, well, let's pray. Would it be okay to pray together right now? That's a kind of hospitality in a very broad sense, I admit. It's, sure. We're not back to our sharing the pew kind of hospitality. Right, right. <laughs> but it is but kind of welcoming. You know, it's welcoming somebody else into my prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, that, that can be very e effective. And if it's done, if it's done with respect, uh, I sure. think uh, almost always people, uh, even if people aren't comfortable and say, well, I prefer not, well, then... We move on. That's right. part of being a gracious host. Huh. That's too. It, it takes a level of vulnerability as well to say to somebody, you know, can we pray right now? And I think um, offering God those moments of vulnerable hearts where we're reaching out, and again with respect, you know, but there's there's such potential there um, to be welcoming in our spiritual lives as well. Because I mean, we, again, back to our little uh, microcosm. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Welcoming, welcoming people into my pew. Yeah. Uh, the really the issue is: Am I welcoming them into my life? Mm. Well, and I love this. This all in my mind as I'm hearing all this. It's just a reflection on one lens or aspect of love. As you know, if love is willing the good of the other, and I really care for you and love you and want what's best for you. I'm going to make room for you in this pew or I'm going to give you my pew altogether because, you know, I just want you to be able to have a seat and I'll stand in the back if necessary or whatever. It's, mm. it's really, again, it's, it's being 
who God is, which is love, to the other by putting them first and putting yourself second, you know, and, and there's just something really beautiful about that aspect of hospitality, you know, so I know even Pope Francis, he, you know, he's quoted as saying, I prefer a church which is bruised, hurting, and dirty because it's been out on the streets rather than in the church, um, which is, I'm sorry, rather than a church that's unhealthy and being confined and clinging to its own security and stuff. So, I mean, you know, he often talks, Pope Francis, uh, about welcoming uh, those on the peripheries. I mean, do you see this idea relating in that quote kind of relating to the same thing, Archbishop? I do very much see them relating. Uh, there are lots of ways to be on the periphery. Mm. Uh, and Rightly, we, we think about those who are materially disadvantaged or those who are uh, oppressed in the civil order, but there are lots of ways for somebody to be an outsider. I think of uh, uh, Dickens' Christmas Carol, uh, mm. Ebenezer Scrooge was on mm-hmm. the periphery, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, his conversion led him to, uh, to, to be able to accept the hospitality of his nephew. There are, there's some, always, there are always people around us who are on the periphery. Uh, not to lose sight of the fact that the Holy Father has a particular care and particular uh, prophetic role to call us to be uh, hospitable, uh, to be open to those who are materially uh, disadvantaged. It's, a, it's a, a cool thing to kind of imagine it beyond maybe what our perspective is. Uh, perspectives are on the peripheries to really think about what that means. And I love that you brought up Ebenezer Scrooge. I think about um, in my own family life, the past, I don't know, year or two, it's really been on my husband and I's heart to to consider what hospitality looks like as a family. And I had, um, we had somebody over for dinner maybe two months ago, and he's married now and he has a family and has children. And he was sharing around our, our dinner table that when he was a single man, he, he got married later in life, he said, it, it meant so much to me when families would invite me over for dinner and as a, as a Catholic single man that I would be welcomed into people's homes because there was quite a level of loneliness that people didn't realize I was experiencing. And I think in today's society, isolation or loneliness is such a difficult cross to bear and we don't sometimes as families or individuals think about creative ways to be hospitable in our own homes. I was wondering if you had any, any insight on that. What what are some principles that maybe we can follow, um, not necessarily just as parishes, but as individuals and as families? How can we frame our minds to align ourselves to this unusually gracious hospitality? Well, before I answer that, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you a question, Mary. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I read is that uh, the... Uh, ubiquitous use of social media tends to Mm -hmm. make us isolated. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if uh, hospitality for those who are on the periphery in that kind of, uh, uh, from that sort of result, isn't all the more needed today. Do you Mm -hmm. think that, Mike, Mary, what do you think? I think I think that's spot on. I don't know what you mm. would say, Mike, but I, I just recently shared that, especially maybe, and this could be my bias, but um, young adults and, and teenagers are feeling such a profound sense of isolation. And I think some of that is due to the fact that we operate kind of in this digital world. And of course, the pandemic didn't help it because that was how we were communicating. <laughs> but there's an element, right, of, of human contact that's missed through that. Right, mm. Mike? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think 
it's funny because social media, there is a community component or piece to it. And I think Mm -hmm. in really small circles, I I do believe it's possible through the medium of social media to actually form some positive, good community. But I think it's not the norm. I think it's, it's kind of the norm is more so to have kind of what would be kind of like a pseudo or kind of false or fake community, which still leaves you in a, in a feeling of isolation and feeling alone. You know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah. Well, it's about acceptance, isn't it? That I, mm. I, uh, I'm able here to be uh, uh, authentically myself and, and I'm accepted uh, mm. by, the, by these other folks or by this other person. I, I'm mm. welcome uh, right. for myself. You know, and I think that's maybe the piece that's missing in in some ways. The reason why it's so difficult in social media is because in order to be truly accepted, you have to be truly vulnerable first. Because if you're if you're fake and then people accept your fakeness, you know interiorly that they're not really fully accepting you. They're accepting Mm. your mask that you put on. But when you're truly vulnerable, honestly vulnerable and people still accept you and love you. Well, then that's that's that acceptance you're speaking of, I think, Archbishop. And I think social media, unfortunately, people aren't typically fully themselves or fully vulnerable. They kind of put on more of a facade uh, for the most part. Obviously, I think it's possible this good things can happen, too. But, yeah, I don't know. That's just my two cents on it. But Thanks. Mary, back to you. What I, yeah. I, I, mean, I stonewalled no, I think... your question, so <laughs> put it again, please. No, I liked that. Um, you were. I was asking you how families, and I'm actually going to make it a tougher question if you don't mind, how families and individuals can try to be more radically hospitable, any tips that you might have. But then also, and th- this makes it a little more challenging, because it's something I'm really cr- kind of trying to tease through as well, in this reality of the pandemic where people don't feel comfortable getting together in large groups of people, how can we extend that radical hospitality when it seems like, you know, some of our hands might be tied in terms of how we, where we feel safe and things like that? How do we, how do we balance the two? Well, uh, how to balance, I, I think, again, uh, trust in the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's going to be opportunities every day uh, to uh, welcome the stranger, to welcome some someone, to extend myself to another person, and uh, to watch for that to happen. And you're right, uh, in the current situation, there are avenues that are closed off to us, mm-hmm. but there are other avenues that are open, and, and to... Uh, and to be flexible and to make the the most out of uh, even the little opportunities. Um, I think here of the parable of the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like uh, uh, the mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. And yet when it's planted, it can grow into this uh, bush that even the birds can live in. Uh, So it could be be something very, very simple. and not to discount the the little opportunities because they're little. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a really good point. I had uh, shared with somebody that, again, I think that the deep call that I feel towards hospitality these last couple of years really does come from that expression of a, a band of joyful missionary disciples. And I wonder if my family's responding to that call in an accurate way. And I, I just recently joked at a, a parish, I was doing an Advent talk, and I was talking to moms primarily. And I said, you know, when we pick up our kids at school, 
are we smiling at other people? Are we looking down at our phones and not taking that opportunity to make eye contact and say hello? Because sometimes that's that's all it takes in this world where we're so used to just being focused on ourselves and our own business. When they see the mom that's at pickup, smiling at people, making eye contact, saying hello, that kind of stuff makes a difference because there's a level of joy, right, that can be hopefully witnessed and then desired by other people because we have good news. Right. Yeah. I... I one of the most uh, impressive examples that uh, uh, ever I've come across was I was talking to uh, a man in, in the Washington, D.C. airport. We just struck up a conversation. I was wearing my clerical clothes, of course, so mm-hmm. he approached me. and uh, We were talking about uh, evangelization, and uh, one of the things he and his family do is uh, have some sort of uh, outdoor neighborhood activity once a month, uh, touch football or uh, some kind of uh, uh, extreme frisbee. They do something and then uh, right. have uh, share a meal with the neighbors. And it's yeah. a way for the fam- his family uh, to be hospitable to other families. And he said it, it's it's very effective uh, as a way to be a leaven in in the neighborhood. Uh, And I think, uh, I mean, there there are lots of uh, dimensions for uh, being uh, hospitable, but I I do think family to family or opening one's family circle is a particularly radical form of hospitality. I agree. This is the Holy Spirit talking. Mike and I, when we saw the topic of this show, I um, I have felt called in my own neighborhood to figure out ways to... We're, we're a quite isolated neighborhood. I don't know my neighbors, and we live in a society where people don't, you know, sit out on the front porch anymore. And I was telling Mike just a couple weeks ago, I really feel the Lord has placed on my heart this idea to just invite our neighbors over, say, you know, from one to two, we'll have some snacks on our on our front lawn, and you're welcome to come over and grab a snack. We'd love to meet you. And and I think sometimes we, over, we over, uh, overthink things, instead of just doing simple things like that. And it sounds like your conversation with that man in the airport, that's what he's suggesting. Just talk to people that are around you. Well, Mary, don't forget also the reason you invite them over is your piece de resistance. Remember to right. tell the Archbishop about what you got going on in your front yard. Uh, right. Archbishop being around, I'm going to tell you, my husband set up some really <laughs> awesome Christmas lights and a Christmas tunnel. So I was like, we can invite people over. But honestly, it's it's thinking about the creative ways that within our own circles we can extend hospitality. I think that can really start to move the needle with some of the isolation because I do think sometimes people would not necessarily think of Catholics or the Catholic Church to be um, a place of radical hospitality or unusually gracious hospitality. And the way that changes is what we do as individuals and as families and as parishes. Right, and then there there is the... The, the very uh, radical gesture of saying, uh, would you like to come to this uh, talk? Would you like to come to this prayer service? Would, mm. you, like to, uh, would you like to come to Mass with me? That, that's quite radical hospitality today, I think. Mm. You're right. We, um, St. Aloysius downtown, which I know you're very familiar with it, had an event at the tree lighting at Campus Martius, which is in the center of... Um, 
downtown Detroit, there was a tree lighting, and St. Aloysius opened its doors and invited people to hand out candles and invite strangers to come in and say a prayer. And they had set up such a beautiful prayer space. And I brought my young boys, 10, 9, and 8, and I was so surprised at how willing my boys were to go up to complete strangers and say, would you like to come into the church and light a candle? And I had the opportunity to sit in the church as people were coming in. And of course, St. Aloysius from the exterior, you don't necessarily know that it's there and what a beautiful church it is. And I'm watching all of these people come in and light candles. And I will tell you, Archbishop Vigneron, I was moved to tears with the beauty of invitation, just saying, come on in, you're welcome here. God wants to see you and say hello to your spirit. <laughs> and I was also encouraged by my my young boys who were so willing to go up to groups of complete strangers and say, come pray with us at St. Aloysius. Um, and the simplicity of it struck me, that sometimes we overthink things with programming and different things within our parish when maybe it's just opening our doors and saying, we're here, and this is an opportunity to pray. Yeah. One comment I, I can make, Mary, and mm -hmm. uh, it it's a part of my being... Uh, a little bit more of a philosopher than a practical mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. But uh, what you just described is a mystery, isn't it? That mm. uh, uh, those, that experience, the, those gestures, uh, that's really uh, a working out, that's a sacramental uh, manifestation of God's radical hospitality. Mm. You know, it's God's house, and he, he's the one who says... I'd like to have you here. Right. Uh, you know, you, you, we talked at the beginning about the New Testament foundation for hospitality. I think another way it's founded is with the parable of the wedding feast. Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, mm -hmm. filling up the banquet hall is so important to God that he sent his son to die and rise in order to make it, a ha make it happen. And right. so let's go back to sharing our pew. Uh, <laughs> it's not to. my pew. God wants right. these people in his house, mm -hmm. and it's a chance right. for me as an older brother, an older sister, uh, one who's uh, a little bit more in tune with uh, the, the master of the feast, uh, to mm. welcome somebody that uh, the Lord of the feast wants to come uh, into his home. And that's not just church. That that's that's uh, uh, the domestic church. You know, Mary, you've been talking about your family and your own home. Uh, okay, if it is a domestic church, and it is, it's really God's house. Right. And when you invite people into your home, uh, you're an agent uh, of God, inviting people into God's house. Yeah, that's a very good way to work uh, to look at it. And it's hard sometimes, and I've shared that with, again, different moms, because that's my community, that, you know, I have to overlook the fact that, you know, my house is messy sometimes, and our counters are full of clutter, and uh, there can be a real almost um, external pride that isn't appropriate, you know, that people just want to be with people. My house doesn't need to look perfect to open up our table to our neighbors or to our friends that are, you know, that it's something that God calls us to do, and it helps Archbishop Vigneron, to think of the domestic church to kind of push me past the, the you know, I, I sometimes like my house is so loud and chaotic and there's so many children, but when people come over, they say, we have a good time, you know, and so to, to think of it as a domestic church that we're inviting people into because that's the work that God has called us to because of his profound love 
is really helpful. You know, stepping from this, I mean, obviously we're talking about kind of the personal, the family, and the personal home, the domestic church. Uh, Archbishop, you know, what, what what are some concrete things that you would love to see as, as chief shepherd that you would love to see your parishes and the parishioners, you know, beyond giving up their pew? Is there anything else kind of in, in, the, in, the, in the, that you'd love to see parishes We're not going to let that die. That's no, just going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> No. Yeah, we, we're, we're going to keep beating that horse. Yeah, that's sure right. Are. That's right. It's just, you know, it's not dead yet. So, no, no but especially in the season of, of Advent and Christmas, you know, coming up, is there something specific you'd love to see your parishes and parishioners be doing in this time? Well, I, th- I think in, invite people to uh, come uh, to the church and find the church a, uh, to be a home. Uh, I'm, I mean, maybe it. It's uh, an invitation to come along with me to a penance service. Uh, uh, that could be very uh, helpful. It, ca- it is. It would be a very helpful form of hospitality. Invite people to come to mass. Uh, uh, we're, we're going to be at this mass. Would you, would you like to come along? Uh, and I think not just neighbors, but family members as well. Um, and. <clears throat> Uh, not to be, I, I think, to exercise that sort of uh, uh, vulnerability to invite, not to not to uh, nag, but to mm-hmm. to to reason uh, uh, with uh, affection and respect, uh, good manners to invite, and to to see what happens. Also, think uh, people we might consider are uh, senior citizens who can be feel very isolated at this time. And they may, in fact, even be uh, uh, able on their own to get to church, but an invitation, to, would you like to come along with us? Uh, it might be easier for you if, uh, if we stop to pick you up, that sort of a thing. Hmm. Yeah. I think little acts, I, th- I think uh, that's what I'd like to see, is a thousand small acts of hospitality. Hmm. That'll be a lot of... Uh, uh, mustard trees growing right. <laughs> well think about the power if if you know it's this is idealistic of course but if you know even 50 percent of people that attend a parish extended an invitation right I think, and i think sometimes it's hard it's hard though because it does take a level of vulnerability and almost a finesse to make sure that you're doing it respectfully and not in a nagging way but it could make such a profound difference when you um when you think about families of parishes archbishop ignorant do you do you see the um an advantage when it comes to hospitality? How do we live hospitality or radical hospitality, unusually gracious hospitality, within our families of parishes, both from parish to parish and also to the external or outside kind of world or society? Well, I think, uh, yes, indeed. Uh, There is no no, uh, idea behind grouping the parishes into families to... Uh, destroy uh, parish identity. But it does mean to maintain that identity uh, while at the same time inviting other people in to open the circle. And uh, our families of parishes are going to be a platform for the new evangelization to the extent that uh, they do extend hospitality beyond the boundary of the parish into all the members of the the grouping. But as you say, it's also about uh, beyond the family and uh, to welcome those who aren't ordinarily uh, members of the the grouping. 
there, is, I think this is, uh, uh, as, as we get into uh, young adults, uh, teenagers, there's a, a lot more of this uh, moving uh, between parishes and even between families. And uh, we need to help those people feel welcome. You know, Archbishop, just on kind of a personal level, has there been, like, can you think of a specific time in your life where you experienced radical hospitality and what that was like for you? Yes. Uh, and uh, maybe some of the listeners know Cardinal Dearden sent me to uh, the American Seminary in Rome to do my theological studies. And uh, living those years as a, as a stranger, uh, Certainly, that was a challenge, but uh, I remember people and experiences that made me feel at home, and mm. uh, I very much appreciated that, and I think it has helped me understand how important it is uh, to be on watch for somebody who feels himself, herself a stranger and to do what I can to make them feel at home. I know even when I think personally about the experiences of hospitality that have meant the most to me, it's, it's usually been a situation like that as well. I know like, uh, you know, starting a new job, for example, you know, and you're kind of in this new workplace and you don't know many people and, you know, there's always kind of that one person that kind of seems to have a charism for it and they kind of like make sure you're, you're good and they int- invite you to, you know, meet other people and introduce you and all that kind of stuff. And that always kind of helps ease you in and makes you feel much more better and much more comfortable mm-hmm. in the situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking when Archbishop Vigner was talking, you know, about times of uh, radical hospitality being shown. I, I was on a mission trip when I was in college, and I met a priest, and I, or uh, he was a deacon at the time, and he was going to be ordained. I can't even remember his name now, but he was being ordained in Ottawa, and it was like six months after this mission trip, and he said, you know, I'd really like you and your friend to come to my ordination, but we were we were young adults. We, we didn't have the finances to go, you know, do a weekend away in Ottawa for this ordination, and he said, I there's a parishioner, um, this older lady who lived by herself, and she'd love to have you stay with her. And so we took this road trip and we stayed with this woman and she made us meals and she was so kind and we were complete strangers and we we never heard from her again. It was this one time when she opened up her house to us, let us sleep there, fed us and let us go to this ordination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think about things like that, you know, little things that we can do to open our homes and our uh, make people feel welcome. Archbishop, is there anything else you'd like to add to this on, on this uh, specific topic? I'd like to go back to the the point about prayer. Uh, prayer, you know, my prayer is a very, very personal part of my life, and to invite somebody into my prayer is, I think, a very particular kind of hospitality. That that's a, a form to, to for us to think about. How can I make? How can I have somebody else feel at home in in this? personal moment of my own intimate sanctuary uh, that we pray together. And in your experience, is that just really as simple as saying, how can I pray for you and can we pray together? Is that how you've, you've done it or you've seen people yes, do it and that's, it's effective? That's, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. I don't do that often. I don't do that often. That seems really challenging to me, but it's a good challenge that maybe I can try to incorporate more in my life in the moment saying, how can I pray for you? Or let's pray right now. Mm. It'd be good. At, at some point, uh, when one, when you identify yourself as a disciple of Jesus, uh, 
however that happens, then the next thing is, is there something I can pray for, for you? And then you, people usually say yes, and then say, well, maybe we could pray right now. Would you like to do that? And uh, something very simple. Amen. So we're at the point in the podcast, Archbishop Vigneron, where we get to ask you questions that have been submitted by the faithful. If you're listening and you'd like to ask a question, please feel free to email us at eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.com or .org. So that's eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org. Make sure to include your name, your parish, and of course, your question. Our first question comes from Colin at St. Mary in Royal Oak. Colin asks, what are some reasons to pray for the intercession of St. Nicholas, even outside of the Christmas season? Well, one uh, very important way to pray for uh, to St. Nicholas is his protection to children. I mean, uh, this is uh, uh, one of the, the things we know about St. Nicholas is that he was uh, very much concerned for the well-being of the young. Another uh, thing that we don't often think about in the West, but the, the Greeks are very attuned to this, is that St. Nicholas participated in the first ecumenical council, uh, the Council of Nicaea in uh, 325, and was a great defender of the doctrine, the truth that Jesus Christ is truly uh, God, the Son of God, consubstantial with the Father. And uh, St. Nicholas can be a, a great intercessor for us, a great example to uh, uh, to confess uh, the lordship of Jesus in the face of uh, people who might want to water that down. Mm. Uh, a second question, Archbishop, is actually from Megan at St. Tres-Lesseau. And she asks, during Christmas, the other feast days kind of get lost, you know, like St. Stephen and St. Basil. How do you balance feast days with the Christmas celebrations? I think the way to do this, and I <clears throat> try to do it in my own life, is to see these days not as competition, but mutually illuminative. Hmm. Uh, St. Basil, for example, coming in the, the day after New Year's, uh, the day after we celebrate uh, the motherhood of Mary as the mother of God uh, on January the 1st, we celebrate uh, St. Basil as a, a teacher of that doctrine and uh, an example of somebody who, who lived it out or St. Stephen on uh, the day after Christmas. It's not uh, the whiplash of uh, a lot of sweet joy followed by the uh, reality of hostility, but that uh, what Stephen died for was to be a witness, as a witness, to the, uh, the truth of uh, uh, the Messiahship of Jesus. And so I, I think uh, these feast days provide a lens on Christmas. Uh, I think we have to be careful. It doesn't help to put them into competition with one another, right. but to see them as mutually illuminative. Hmm. Our final question is from Joe at Christ the Good Shepherd. And Joe asks, we have finished the year of St. Joseph. What fruits were harvested for you personally and for the diocese as a whole? I think very similar fruits, the fruits of a renewal of uh, Joseph's intercession as uh, the head of the Holy Family, of which we're all members, and uh, fruits of uh, being a good example of stewardship, both certainly for me personally, 
it's been a reminder of uh, the call that I have to be like Joseph, uh, a righteous man, and that means a man of faith. Uh, that's, that's where righteousness comes from. It's, a, it's by faith. And so for me to have faith like Joseph, to fulfill my responsibility as a, my stewardship of uh, some part of uh, God's family. And I think uh, this has been very much uh, a fruit in the lives of many priests. I also think it's been a fruit in the lives of many uh, uh, laymen who, who themselves are fathers. That's beautiful. Archbishop, before we close, I, of course, always want to ask you if there's something specific that we can be praying for you about, um, some intention that we can keep in mind in our own personal prayer. I think uh, ask, as I look to beginning a new year, ask the Lord to give me light so that in the coming year uh, I will uh, do my part to direct his family uh, the way he wants it directed. Beautiful. That gift of wisdom. So, so, so strong or light, as you said, you know, um, beautiful Archbishop, would you mind closing us with a, uh, with a blessing? I'd be very glad to let's begin by giving God the glory. Glory be to the father and to the, the son, son and to the Holy spirit, spirit as it as was in the beginning, beginning is now and ever shall be world without yeah. end. Amen. Amen. May almighty God bless all of you listeners and your loved ones. Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Archbishop. Thank you, Archbishop. Oh, you're most welcome. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoy listening, you might also like Detroit Stories, a podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.